Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You're about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. This is your fresh weekly report on housing conditions that will enable you to make smarter investment decisions and gain insight on local trends. Landon is a genuine self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's top rated by sites like Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. Whether you live right here in the city or across the country, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Welcome to episode 26 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. The cold air is here. Snow on the ground in Oklahoma City. On today's show, Meg Salyer, Ward 6 City Councilwoman, after 10 years of her reign and city council, it comes to an end in February. She talks to us on today's show about her history with Oklahoma City and what the future might be for Oklahoma City. And now to the market. New active homes coming on the market, 141 this week, down from the week before when 158 homes came onto the market. The homes sold this week, just 82, which is down from the week before when 152 homes were sold. Don't worry too much because as we get towards the end of the month, we're going to see an increase in homes being sold. Median list price, $149,950 with a median final sold price this last week of $140,950. That's an approximately 6% discount expected during the sale of a property in the last seven days in Oklahoma City. The median list price per square foot was $97.62, making the sold price per square foot $94.35. The average appreciation rates this year to date in Oklahoma City are still holding steady at a 3.5%. Our market outlook for rental properties in the Oklahoma City area, national rent average for the United States still holding steady at $1,440, with a monthly change of 0% and an annual change compared to last year of an increase of 0.5%. Oklahoma City metro rents are currently averaging $1,091, with a median rent of $980. The median rent expectation of $980 is about what you can expect to spend on rent or get from rent if you're a landlord. This is a monthly change of 0.1% down compared to last year. We're looking at an annual change of 0.9% overall. You can also visit okcrealestateshow.com for more information. And now here's your news. Hello, I'm Aaron Christian with the OKC Real Estate Show with this week's news. Election results are in. The votes have been tallied. And Oklahoma's new governor is Republican Kevin Stitt, who gallantly won by a margin of 12% over Democratic hopeful Drew Edmondson. Oklahoma City District 5 has a new Democratic House representative. Kendra Horn upset incumbent Republican Steve Russell. It was a close race as Kendra won by a margin of just 1% over Steve Russell. Chisholm Creek is exploding with new restaurants. Chisholm Creek is located near Cabela's and Top Golf on Memorial and Western in Oklahoma City. It features a small lake where the ambiance of the location can reflect the eclectic feel of the new restaurants being built. The area already has several trendy hotspots including Firebirds, Hop Daddy, Bira Bira Craft Pizzeria, and Uncle Julio's. 
Spring 2019 will welcome Razoo's Cajun Cafe, which will offer authentic Cajun food made from scratch. Chicken Salad Chick will lure in healthy appetites with a bevy of Southern-style chicken salad recipes, soups, healthy side items, and of course, salads galore. A new sports bar, Chalk, will also open next spring and will feature an open rooftop and plenty of big-screen televisions. Also coming soon to Chisholm Creek is Slapfish. Based out of Huntington Beach, California, Slapfish describes their menu as fun and sexy seafood. A noted actor and founder of multiple organizations comes to Oklahoma City this week. Susie Cameron will host events Friday evening and Saturday brunch at Urban Farmhouse Designs to raise awareness for plant-based solutions to solve climate change. Born in Oklahoma City and a concerned mother of five, Susie has produced many environmental documentaries and serves on several nonprofit boards. Her acting career has spanned over 25 films, most notably The Usual Suspects and the record-breaking film Titanic. Susie and her husband, renowned director James Cameron, proudly support sustainable living and invite you to join their exclusive events this weekend. Tickets may be purchased online at stateofcreativity.com. The event will be featured on our YouTube channel, OKC Real TV. Follow the links in the description for more details. All right, welcome to the show. It's Oklahoma City Real Estate Show here with Meg Salyer, who is the Ward 6 Councilwoman for the last decade, watching the city transform from... Uh, the poverty impoverished districts to one of the number one districts in in, in Oklahoma, if not in in the Midwest, the Plaza District, uh, Gatewood, uh, Linwood, Crestwood, uh, Heritage Hills. A lot of the top neighborhoods in Oklahoma City are in Ward Six, and her reign coming to an end, 2019. After 10 years and a new elections coming up, uh, a lot of good names running for that. Meg, thanks for coming on the show today. I hope that we can talk about something that's been very precious to your heart, and that's the transformation of Oklahoma City over the last 10 years. Landon, thank you so much for having me here this morning. I really appreciate the opportunity. And when you say decade, I can hardly believe it. Uh, it just doesn't seem possible that it's been 10 years, but... Um, it indeed has. That's really amazing. So when you started this in 2008, did you think you were going to be there for that long? Or did you kind of think, oh, I'll, I'll get involved and, and see what happens? And or how did that come about? Well, I begin by saying I didn't think I was going to be there at all. This really um, wasn't part of a plan. Um, it it uh, was another piece of serendipity that's kind of happened in my life and has provided a great journey. But um I was preceded in this office by Ann Simak, who held the seat for 13 years. She did a fabulous job. Um, but her son had always dreamed of becoming a firefighter. And mm. when he became an Oklahoma City firefighter, uh, she resigned from her position. And so it left a two-and-a-half-year unexpired term available. Mm. And I had some folks, you know, call and check in with me. I had worked with the city in lots of different capacities. I served for 10 years again um, on the Citizens Committee for Community Development Block Grant Funds. And, um, you know, I was the founding board chair of Automobile Alley. And so I'd worked really closely with Public Works Department and the city manager's office and um, council staff and 
you know, with Debbie Martin has been a friend of mine forever. And so I'd worked closely with the city, but I hadn't ever thought about this next step. And, mm. um, you know, as I tell the story, my dear friends Clayton and Marnie Taylor took me to a football game in Stillwater and had me hotboxed in the car for 45 minutes on the way up and 45 minutes on the way back. And, you know, we just sort of chatted around the idea that community, this job is not a political job, it's community service. And so what I had been doing previously, you know, was in the same vein. It was just an opportunity to take this to a higher level and be engaged um, with your citizens at a different level. And so given that it was two and a half years, I sort of thought, this is the perfect window. You know, if I love it, that's awesome. If I don't love it, anybody can do anything for two and a half years. So sure, that was sure. kind of how I decided to jump in. And I did love it. And, hmm. um, you know, I stuck it out for 10 and a half. For those that may not understand what the position is, could you briefly describe kind of what that role does and, and what uh, position it plays in Oklahoma City? Sure. I'm serving on the city council, you know, along with the school board, I would add, are the closest, you know, thing you can be to working with people on a day-to-day basis. And everything we do, Landon, I think affects people's quality of life. So, you know, the issues that we deal with, there are eight of us on the city council, just so people understand, you know, in case our Mm -hmm. form of government is unclear to people, we have what's called a a weak mayor, a strong city manager form of government, so that the city council actually has just three categories of employee. We hire the city manager, which is um, looming on our Mm -hmm. agenda here in the next couple of weeks as Jim Couch has announced his retirement after uh, eight, it was like 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. He is wow. the longest serving city manager of a major city of anywhere in the country. Wow. Talk about big shoes to fill. No uh, it's really going to be a, um, a transition. Change is, you know, difficult, I think, for everybody, but it's also an exciting opportunity. So um, we'll be working on that. Um, but um, so we also hired the city auditor and we hired the municipal counselor. But those are our employees. The city manager, you know, runs the city just like a COO of a company would. Mm. And so the 4,800 city employees uh, fall under the purview of the city manager's office. Mm. And um, so it's a very important role. The council's job is essentially to set policy, direction, you know, guide the city and then ask the city manager to execute those policies. So now you, your constituents, if you will, is everyone that lives, they have to be a homeowner or can they be, can they just reside? They just reside in the in the it, district. Our constituents reside in our districts. And so there are eight of those. Um, I represent Ward 6. And um, if you think about it as a square box, it's not exactly, but the boundaries of Ward 6 on the North Star, on the North side start at Northwest 23rd Street and it's funny because they're the middle of the road. Mm. So I have the south side of Northwest 23rd Street. So, mm. you know, you can run along and think about what's there. Um, Mutt's Hot Dogs. I've got the Gold Dome. I've got the new um, Guatemalan Fabulous Chicken Place on 23rd Street. Um, but I miss the Drake and Cheevers and some of the things just the Asian on the district. north side of the yeah. street, the Asian district. Sure. On the east side, um, think about sort of a combination between the railroad tracks and Robinson. Mm. And then south, um, the ward goes all the way for two miles um, as far south as Southwest 59th Street. Mm. And on the west boundary is Portland. So 
Um, it is actually the smallest geographic ward. It's only about 18 square miles. And again, when you think of Oklahoma City, it's 622 square miles. Mm -hmm. um, some of my colleagues' wards are in excess of 100 square miles. Mm. Yeah, it's what, Ward 7 goes all the way to like Luther or something like that? It, absolutely. <laughs> it's just, like, crazy. I mean, it's just, you know, you know when you drive. Take all day to drive this whole district. East yeah. or West and I-40 and you see that sign, it says entering Oklahoma City, you're stunned. You know. I think at one point we were the largest city in the the world. I think we were. I think yeah. we may be three or four now, but, yeah. but we are big, which, you know, has implications. And I know we don't have time to talk about all these things, but it has implications for public transit. It has implications for police and fire coverage, mm. ambulance service, you know, the great benefit of living in a city like Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma City, is that you can choose any single lifestyle you want and be in the city limits. Mm. You know, I live in a downtown high rise and choose to do that, but I could also choose to live on 160 acres uh, out in the country and have horses and chickens or, you know, whatever you might choose. So, you know, we have we have something for everybody, but that probably means we also can't have everything for everybody all the time because, mm -hmm. you know, we're we are also not very densely populated. So, going back to Ward Six, you it, know, what is the population of Ward Six? Well, so um, we redistrict the wards every ten years based on the most recent survey data, a census data, which sure. will be coming up I was gonna say, yeah. this year. Yeah, it's great. So we redistricted, if that's a word, um, uh, 10 years ago. It's a word on this show. There you go. We're going to claim it as a word <laughs> right. on this show. Um, so we did look at that. And, and by um, charter, we are each required to represent an equal amount of population with a plus or minus 2% over the median. So we mm. each, in, in round numbers, we each represent about 72,000 people. Wow. In our, in our individual of, wards. It's a lot of voices. It's yeah. a lot of voices, and sure. we hear from a lot of voices. Mm. Um, I've never heard from anybody that they hadn't been able to reach me mm. or hadn't been able to reach out. You know, the world has changed a lot, and technology makes the connection so much simpler. You know, my email address is ward6 at okc.gov. I get a lot of emails every single day, some of them super simple so that staff can direct it if it's a, you know, code enforcement complaint or a trash not pickup or a pothole in the neighborhood, you know, parenthetically, which you can also do you, on your Graffiti. phone with OKC sure. Connect. There's mm. a really easy way to report those. But, you know, if you want it to come to a council office, um, those things can be quickly directed to mm. the right staff department. Mm. You know, things that require, um, you know, more complicated thought or a deeper process, talking about, you know, a challenge that might require a new ordinance or whatever, those things get to me on a regular basis. Hmm. Now, when you think back, I know you've got a large span to try to remember through, but are there some high points in that 10 year where you think, gosh, I love what I'm doing? You know, this is an instrumental moment. You know, honestly, almost every day I love what I'm doing. The simple thing would be to say, every time I get to help a citizen solve a problem, that's mm -hmm. a high point. I mean, it really, um, you know, like most of our jobs, when you when you get to solve a problem, create a solution, help somebody uh, maneuver something that was difficult, you know, you develop a sense of accomplishment about that. So it feels good. But I have truly been um, incredibly fortunate to have been involved um, at this level at the city from the 
inception of the MAPS 3 program uh, through to, you know, every project has been bid, every project's under construction. And and that actually played a big role in my decision to not run for re-election. I, I felt as if um, we have kind of taken a package, we've wrapped a bow around it, and um, seeing it to completion, seeing it through, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I felt once once the convention center bid had come in and it was so significantly under budget, we mm, knew that's beautiful that we could complete the project the way we'd promised. We knew that we had probably some additional funding to help enhance some of the projects that could use a little um, additional boost to them. Um, and then we got closer to the budget process. We financially are very stable. We've got great reserves in a rainy day fund. We don't call it that, but we've got good reserves. We've been conservative in the way we've managed money. And when we were presented the budget this year, we were finally able to find the dollars to provide Sunday bus service. And Mm. to me, that was sort of the icing on the cake. And Mm. um, wrapping that package and tying it up with a bow and then realizing that we're we're now back to a planning phase. You know, Mayor Holt has put out a call for yep. ideas. And we ran and, that call on the website good, as well. Yeah. Great. So, yep. you know, uh, my personal opinion about the way I like to do things is I didn't want to be involved in planning, mm. again, for something that I probably wouldn't see through to execution. Mm. And so the timing uh, just seemed right. It, it's it's a, yeah, it's a change of the guards. It is. Yeah. And, you know, Lynn, we're also, you're seeing it, you know, across the board, whether it's corporate leadership or city mm. leadership, you know, we are in the midst of one of those gigantic generational changes. Mm. You know, it's time mm-hmm. for um, this young 40-something, 30-something group to begin to step up and take on these roles. And they're smart, they're well-groomed, they're prepared, and, you know, it's time for the chance. None of us are going away. I do Mm. want to make that pretty clear. Um, You know, and there's lots of opportunity to be involved. One doesn't have to do that from an elected seat. Mm. That is a great point. You know, most of the big change that's occurred in Oklahoma City has come from volunteers, uh, whether it's through uh, civic movements or school board, like you talk about. Um, Speaking on education, um, so we recently talked with Nathaniel Harding, uh, who is a a possible candidate for elections in February, um, or he is a candidate. (laughs) He's an announced candidate for this Ward 6 seat. And, and, uh, you know, he had some some goals and plans with education, uh, but those are difficult questions to answer right now. Um, what do you think is the future, let's say the short-term three to five years for education in Ward 6, who, um, you know, we lose a lot of deals to families that want to have the higher rated schools? And so they love the homes, which we have some of the most incredible homes in the world. Uh, in in Ward 6. Um, when you talk about 1930s charm, I mean, it is just, I mean, magazines. I mean, I literally, our photo shoots, we could put them on magazines in Paris and people would be stunned. Uh, so, uh, but the schools are a limiting factor. How long is that going to be till we can get those those great school ratings up uh, to the sevens and the eights and the nines? What kind of time frame is that? Well, let's talk about structure to start with. Because we also have an elected school board um, who are directly responsible for oversight of the school districts. So the role that the city council, if you will, plays in that 
is much more subtle than, you know, day-to-day management. There is a superintendent of the schools um, who is doing a fantastic job. Uh, As I said, we have an elected school board who make the same kinds of policy decisions for the school district that we make for the city as a whole. Your listeners may remember that um, we didn't call it MAPS 2 exactly, but the second MAPS that um, the voters approved the penny sales tax for under the reign of uh, Mayor Humphreys Mm. was called MAPS for Kids. Mm. And it raised about $580 million that went directly into capital improvements. Mm. And that's what our penny is for, Mm. capital improvements at the schools. So we were able to build new or substantially remodel and refurbish every single school in the I-89 school district, which is the Oklahoma City urban district, and raised another, I think, 120 or $130 million for the 23 other school districts within Oklahoma City limits. Mm. Your readers may think, or listeners may think, I'm making a mistake, but there are 24 independent school districts inside Oklahoma City limits, Mm. which in and of itself makes the situation extremely complex to manage. Now, we have fantastic schools throughout Oklahoma City. And, you know, you look at an organization like the Foundation for Oklahoma City Public Schools um, run by Mary Malone that is doing great work supporting the efforts of the teachers. Um, You know, we have models that are working incredibly well. We've got KIPP School. We've got John Rex School, which happens to be in Ward 6, which is a sort of hybrid Mm -hmm. charter school. Mm. Um, We've got Wilson Elementary School in Mm. Ward 6. We've got Gatewood. Uh, We've got Linwood, the Linwood Lions, as you mentioned. You know, teachers every day in the classroom are doing great work. But what it's going to take to move that needle, as you asked, it takes the community as Mm. a whole. And, you know, whether or not you have a child in the Oklahoma City public school system, you need to know that those kids are, in fact, our future, and they need our help. They need us as mentors. They need us in a classroom on a Saturday mm-hmm. painting the walls or pulling the weeds or, you know, there are just tons of opportunities to participate. So the the great school uh, rating, and the reason why I bring that up is because when somebody's moving to Oklahoma City, whether you agree with uh, Zillow or not, the Zillow group who owns NakedHomes.com, uh, Trulia, Zillow.com. A lot of people don't realize truly and Zillow are the same ownership. It's all part of the Zillow group, which is a $2 billion company who's growing every day. I would say 90% of our business uh, and growing every day, it feels like, uh, starts their search on Zillow.com. So one of the things they do is they give a school rating score, right? And which is from a company called Great Schools. You can go to greatschools.org. Uh, and they tell how they how they do that. And, and it's 50% test scores and then 50% funding and rating. And they come up with that score. Well, Deer Creek and Edmond schools consistently get that eight and that nine, whereas Oklahoma City is like in the threes, you know. And so I guess for a short answer for those that are listening that are going, how do I interpret that? You're saying that this is a great school, but but these ratings are, are off. So is it that it just takes time to get these test scores up and the test score really isn't a full picture of the actual education the child is receiving? I mean, is it class percentage size? I mean, how do we rate a school effectively? 
you're getting me out of my, you know, wheelhouse because, sure. you know, we don't deal with that on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I I can confirm with you based on the zoning cases that we see before the council mm-hmm. every Tuesday that, you know, a tremendous amount of the new development that's happening in the city is happening around the perimeters where um, the students are eligible for the um, other school districts, um, you know, there is a perception that our inner city schools may not be up to standard. Um, I think your comment about the, the whole story not being in the testing is mm-hmm. incredibly true, but I mm-hmm. am neither right. an educator nor, you know, am I involved on a day-to-day basis in the school system. Uh, I have sure. the, the benefit mm-hmm. of um, working very closely with the foundation and some of the programming that's, mm-hmm. you know, reflecting on great things that are happening in the schools. Um, sure. I was a reading buddy for four years down at Heronville Elementary School, which is um, one of my um, heavily uh, Hispanic-based um, mm-hmm. schools. And, you know, the kids are just delightful and they're working so hard every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's another interesting thing just for your listeners, perhaps, uh, to know about Ward 6. I really didn't talk mm-hmm. about the demographics Mm-hmm. But it is exactly 50-50, 50% Hispanic and 50% Caucasian. So mm-hmm. in representing that ward, you know, I'm really focused on different issues in sure. different parts of our community. Sure. And you talked about neighborhoods. I just want right. to put in a plug. You know, we talked about neighborhoods, but um, Ward 6 has a portion of Capitol Hill, mm. which is beginning to boom. You know, I, I think we're we're really beginning to see exciting things happening in South Oklahoma City. And a number of the projects that we've all been focused on are, are building those bridges. I think uh, Scissortail Park will have a huge impact on that uh, with Skydance Bridge being a um, a gateway to connecting culture. Absolutely. I think it will be a, a pedestrian pathway uh, to to um, uniting our city uh, right now that very few. I mean, if you're driving along I-40, you, you don't see very many people walking along that bridge and that will change now, you know. You know, we've already seen that happen with the Myriad Gardens Mm-hmm. I am there almost every single day. And mm-hmm. in the evenings, you know, as you walk through, there are um, so many families that gather there. And it's, you know, everything from celebrating quinceaneras, you know, as many flowers as you see, you see these blooming, you know, young girls in their beautiful, bright colored tulle dresses taking photographs down there. There are salsa classes at night, you know, along with two-step classes and, you know, all kinds of different dancing. But the movie nights out on the lawn, uh, you know, you're as likely to be hearing Spanish spoken or, you know, maybe any number of other different languages um, as you are English. And um, that park has really brought the community together and has done exactly what it was Mm -hmm. intended to do, which is to be the front lawn of downtown. Mm -hmm. And I think with great anticipation that we will see that happen in even a greater way. Explosive way. With 70 acres. A myriad gardens is is like, uh, I mean, the children's uh, park is is an amazing play. I take my four-year-old and our three-month-old, we, we have fun there. It's about 15 acres, I think, is... is uh, I think so, that's about there. right. So now this is going to be, you know, 10 or seven times that yeah. or whatever. Um, so very interesting. Um, I want to move to a more controversial topic now. 
I thought public education was pretty controversial. <laughs> Definitely controversial. Oh, and I want you to connect me with some some folks that can help better answer those questions. I'd like to bring that onto the show. Great. Uh, that we can have more of a discussion because I think there is a lack of understanding of test scores and how that really you know pans out. And when you're making decisions of the right school, the other parameters they need to hear about and, and kind of the full picture. So please, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so Airbnb is one of many home sharing options that homeowners can do. Uh, home sharing, if you're not familiar with it, it's the short term leasing of your property, 30 days or less or under 30 days, in which you may rent out a guest house behind your house, or you may go on a trip, or let's say you're temporarily gone, and you can rent out your entire home. Uh, there's several different sites, one of the number ones being Airbnb. So we don't always say we don't always mean the site Airbnb when we refer to Airbnb. Sometimes that's just a, a slogan for the actual, um, you know, usage of your home. So you uh, are kind of caught in the middle of a debate right now uh, over policy uh, or a city ordinance that could prevent Airbnb uh, operators from operating in two of them of prominent neighborhoods in, in Ward Six. Yeah. So the city has been working for more than two years to create or craft um, a balanced and reasonable ordinance to deal with um, the technical term is short-term rentals. Mm. Um, affectionately, it's been called the Airbnb ordinance just sure. for, for shorthand mm -hmm. purposes. Mm -hmm. And so I think you did a great job, Lennon, of describing it because it, in and of itself, it is um, covers a wide span of activities. The company, Airbnb, was originally founded by two guys who let somebody sleep on an air mattress in their living room. You know, the story goes that one of the two principals was at an art festival. He sat down. He was having a beer. A guy came along and joined him. They started up a conversation. And uh, as he said in his own podcast, you know, he said, I asked the dreaded question, which is, where are you staying tonight? Mm -hmm. And the guy said, well, I don't know. I don't really have a place to stay. And, you know, he, he said, yeah, there I was. And um, so I invited him to come stay with my wife and me. And we put him on an air mattress and he said during the night, we thought, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> we don't know this guy. And, you know, from that comes this global industry uh, worth billions of dollars where people are able to monetize excess space that they have. Mm -hmm. And it has really morphed from mm -hmm. sleeping on your couch to uh, you might have a mother-in-law set up in your home where you've got an extra bedroom that has a bathroom and a separate entrance. Um, you might acquire a small home or you might have inherited, you know, a small bungalow. In, in my case, let's just use class and 10 pen as an example, mm -hmm. right near the plaza sure. district. You know, you might own a small home that you don't live in, mm. that you fix up to a very high standard. We all need to remember that Airbnb is much like um, Uber or any of the other sharing economy th type um, uh, businesses today where you live and die on your ratings. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. one is naturally incentivized to keep the property up, to make it really cute, to offer amenities um, so that you keep your ratings high. Right, and right. that's an important check and balance in the absence of, you know, lots of um, calls to the to the police or, you, mm -hmm. you know, I, mm -hmm. I think there's a, 
uh, uh, leveling out here. Self-monitoring. Self-monitoring is is a word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we've been trying to uh, craft something that would apply citywide. And and I think from the city's perspective, and I'm only speaking for myself, I'm not even speaking for my eight colleagues, but I think, you know, from the city's perspective, um, we recognize that Airbnb home sharing is here. And we'd like to know who's doing it because at the moment it's kind of underground. So we'd like to know who does it. We'd like to have them have a license of some type so that if there were to be an issue, a nuisance issue, noise, parking, some of the things that could occur, we'd like to be able to yank that license for a bad operator. Mm -hmm. And we also would like to level the playing field um, for the hotel motel industry and require that these people meet certain safety requirements and that they pay taxes just like a hotelier does, the lodging tax. Which, for those that don't understand, lodging tax is a 5.5% additional tax. So basically a sales tax on top of your existing sales tax for the service. Correct. So um, that was, you know, sort of the simple beginnings where we started. And when we began to um, hold public meetings related to those simple concepts, Um, certain neighborhoods, and particularly some of the larger historic neighborhoods, uh, became concerned about not knowing who was doing it. They're concerned about, would like notification if their neighbor is going to use their home as an Airbnb. They'd like to know that. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about requiring that um, homeowners be present. And, and this is, you know, again, to try to protect neighborhoods from noise, nuisance. You know, one of the examples that's frequently given is, you know, supposing a bunch of, um, you know, young guys come into town for a bachelor party or for a thunder weekend and rent out one of the large mansions in Heritage Hills and have 10 bedrooms full and, you know, party all night long and have cars all over the street, you know, that would be disruptive to the neighborhood. And so, you know, there's been language proposed that would um, prevent that from happening. So there have been lots of suggestions about how we might do this. Um, I have been, you know, on a scale that is 180 degrees different. I have literally been accused of destroying democracy by interfering with people's private property rights, by those that would like to do Airbnb completely unfettered without any regulation. And on the other hand, I have been accused of destroying neighborhood property values by allowing short-term rentals to come Mm. into the neighborhood. So this is a very polarizing subject. Mm -hmm, Sure. And um, overlaid on top of that is our municipal experience with Uber. We spent about two years plus trying to work um, on ride sharing. You know, we had a robust Robust may not be the word, but we had an active taxi industry that was concerned about ride sharing entering um, into the marketplace. And so we worked to try to, again, level the playing field a little bit, Mm -hmm. remove some regulations on the taxi industry, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. allow for um, folks to know who who their driver was in an Uber situation and have some assurances that the vehicles were properly maintained and things that I think people would expect the city would know. And Uber and Lyft both went directly to the state capitol and lobbied for no regulation. So two and a half years of work at the city level went away and we were what's called preempted. 
um, from enacting any municipal regulations that were any more uh, onerous than those at the state level. So let's talk a little bit more detail about what what the actual proposal is. So from what I understand, this would be an annual permit that you would apply for to identify that you are uh, an Airbnb or a, or a, or a, a short-term housing uh, host, and then that would also register you for the lodging tax. Is that right? Well, it's the original ordinance, as it was first proposed, um, uh, levels the field so that whether or not you're a hotel or whether you're not you're an a- Airbnb operator, mm-hmm. you would be required to get the same simple license that costs twenty four dollars. Mm-hmm. That's the first step, and okay. that would that identifies who you that are. would essentially register gotcha. you, identify who you are, where mm-hmm. you live, what you know, some very simple things. Um, and that would set up uh, the opportunity for you to pay your, mm-hmm. your lodging lodging tax, tax. Sure. and it would let the city know if you were conducting this business and were not doing so. And just in a short answer, I know it's a it's a complex deal, but the purpose of the lodging tax is where does that funding go? Well, um, at the moment, um, it's divided up um, all when you go stay. You know, as an example, if you mm-hmm. were to stay at the Skirvin, mm-hmm. there would be a lodging tax mm-hmm. that's um, attached to your hotel bill. Mm-hmm. Um, a significant portion of that goes to the Convention and Visitors Bureau. Gotcha. And so it directly improves the Directly city. improves the sure. city. And, you know, so, you know, if you're the Skirvin and you are required to collect that 5.5% mm-hmm. and your competitor in Class and Tan Pan doesn't have to collect that 5.5%, they're at a competitive advantage. Sure, sure. And so, you know, I, um, you know, one and the city loses it, at the end. One yeah. can certainly recognize that uh, visitors to a city, mm-hmm. just like people, as we discussed, you know, the options for living here. Mm-hmm. People would like every option for um, lodging choice. Sure. And there are lots of reasons why staying in a you know a bungalow or staying in a home with a mm-hmm. kitchen, mm-hmm. Um, washer and makes dryer. sense. I mean, when we travel, uh, our kids are wearing re- reusable diapers. We were really into the crunchy movement of, of being able to use reusable diapers, which makes it really tough to stay in a hotel. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so th- I mean, that's uh, almost a must for us. And then finding washer and dryer in a hotel, maybe it's in a community room. It's just really hard. So Airbnb uh, gave, gave us that opportunity. Let's talk just a minute about um, when people look for an Airbnb, uh, they're usually getting a better deal right now, currently, than, than they would pay in a hotel. Not necessarily. Let me. Okay. Airbnb has been working very closely with the city, mm. uh, not just over this ordinance, but also in the um, collection of the lodging tax. Mm. So, not every site, but Airbnb at the moment voluntarily collects the tax for the city of Oklahoma City. Excellent. So they are remitting sales tax, and you know, I th- I think there are um, in excess of three hundred Airbnb sites that are currently operating in Oklahoma City, um, the majority of them, by, by far and away, the majority of them, by, um, you know, well-run, well-intentioned operators. Well, because they have to, because the rating Because system. of their rating sure. system. You know, it just doesn't mm-hmm. stay as a viable... Yeah. yeah, these are real people trying to rent it, and they can read reviews right there. I mean, terrible experience, unclean place, you know, unkept, and nobody's booking a place there. And we yep. really haven't had any complaints, mm-hmm. which is, you know, another thing that's that's very important in this process. 
Yep. So, you know, my hope is Mm -hmm. that we can come to some form of a resolution that would allow us to have a citywide ordinance. Mm -hmm. There has been some discussion about having sort of a baseline ordinance that may be this very simple thing Mm -hmm. and then overlaying in the historic neighborhoods, maybe a little bit more regulation where, you know, perhaps you would have to go to the Board of Adjustment and get a special exception in order to operate an Airbnb. So in that Mm -hmm. case, your neighbors would be notified. They would have the opportunity. Now, this exception is where we start getting expensive. It gets a little bit expensive, but what we're- A normal exception is what, $1,200, $1,500? Yes, but the council has the Uh opportunity to set that, and the fee that we've discussed is $300. Okay, so if we're renting out the place and that's for good for one year or that's no, life? that would be that would go with the property. So that Got would it. be a one-time special exception fee. Now, almost like a redistrict, a rezoning it kind is, of thing. I mean, in essence, this is a rezoning. Interesting. A number of people okay. are looking at it that mm. way mm. because it's it's a com- it's kind of a commercial single sure. family property typically, sure. and using it now for an income producing property. Mm. So. You know, the historic neighborhoods, many of whom I represent, that have fought so hard for so long Mm -hmm. to prevent commercial encroachment Mm -hmm. from coming into their neighborhoods, now view this use category as exactly that. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of emotion surrounding this issue. And, you know, I think there's a valid argument to be made. Some, Some have said, you know, why would you single out a historic neighborhood over the rest of the community? But the historic neighborhoods have already been singled out. Mm, That's why they're their nature. designated sure. as, as historic neighborhoods. True. So it's not um, doing anything out of the ordinary that hasn't already been done. So, you know, we're working hard. We're on one side. Um, we are trying to fight preemption mm. because I think if this lands on the doorstep of the Capitol, we end up with no rules and nothing that any of us can do. So... We're talking to Airbnb. We're talking to some of the other folks to, you know, get a feel. We've it got. It would have to be citywide, I think. I I, th- I think the issue is coming when when we try to say these two neighborhoods get it, but nobody else gets it. Um, that it that that is a difficult move. Yeah. But I want to be really clear that getting it mm-hmm. is not necessarily what everybody wants. Mm. Some people mm-hmm. don't want Airbnb in their neighborhood, mm. and they would want the additional protections. But there are as many people in as many other neighborhoods that want none of those requirements. Mm. They would just like to be able to do Airbnb. So I I can't even sit here today and say that, you know, that many people in Heritage Hills think that having the additional requirements is a good thing. Mm. You will get a ton of calls about this Mm. because people don't want it. People are running, you know, monetizing. um, Sure. What we're talking about, though, is we're talking about our a financial burden of $325 your first year. It, yeah, one time. One time. Yeah. And then the $25 is is an annual, on, ongoing, which is is not, I mean, that's, that's I've seen cleaning fees of $125 or more on one Airbnb charge. So I think we need to get clear on this. The original you know, news stingers, you know, these headlines saying that, you know, Ann Salyer is or, or Meg Salyer is is going in and and, um, you know, closing down Airbnb. She's, you know, you know, invading your property rights and all these other things are, are 
not quite the full truth here. Nothing is further from the yeah, truth. If anything's, it's not the truth. It's that we need a way to make sure that it's stable for the future. You're not saying, let's not do this. You're saying, let's do this in a way to where everybody can benefit uh, and that it's and that it improves our town versus have this risk right now of just wild, wild west. Everybody does what they want to do. There is a, a potential for investors, um, you know, especially investors that don't even live in the state to purchase a property and then completely convert it to an Airbnb and then have a service company uh, manage that property and do the Airbnb for them. And I think that model actually could be a great opportunity for some locations. Uh, and I know that those servicing companies um, have, they've like, for example, we can't get them on the show here because they've literally been in the shadows, you know, trying to run a business of maintaining these Airbnbs for these investors, but uh, they can't come out officially saying that they're doing that. Well, I really would like to emphasize that that extreme example mm -hmm. is exactly what most neighborhoods are afraid of. That's correct. I think that we need to have that discussion, though. And, and the reason why I bring that up is a few of you listeners remember when we talked about earlier in this year, Inman, who's one of the largest um, realtor uh, discussion and research panels. I mean, they're like they're like uh, the hot topic discussion. Uh, it's like 200 something a year to join their membership. But they did a study on secondary mortgages. So folks that have filed for a mortgage other than their primary dwelling, like a secondary mortgage, um, is now 15% of mortgages in Oklahoma City. Now, when I look at the ranking, I mean, that was a national article. It said, you'll never guess who's number one. And it was Oklahoma City. And that's above Miami. Wow. I mean, when you think of Miami, right, you, you think, of course, it's it's investor owned and all this. Uh, but when we exceed that in, in the amount of uh, secondary or investment mortgages, um, that's really starting to say something. Linda, uh, does it break mm -hmm. it down in any way to property value? Because, you know, in my opinion, mm -hmm. I just don't see any way that you could make the economics pencil out if you were to buy, you know, a 10-bedroom Heritage Hills home. No. And try to convert it yeah. into Airbnb. There is just no possible way. That's this correct. works and it mm -hmm. works really mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. in neighborhoods um like Class and Ten Pen or Shepherd or, you know, some of the smaller Mayfair. Mm -hmm. Very cute, mm -hmm. you know, neighborhoods with mm -hmm. two bedroom, one bath bungalows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that work, you know, for your family or for mine. Sure. You know, that um you you can see how that would be an attractive investment. Mm -hmm. As you start to move up the value chain sure. on, you know, some of these homes, I just don't think there's any way um, I agree. that that makes well, sense. Well, we have to as investors, we look at that that 1% metric. So if you buy a house for 200,000, you need to be renting it for $2,000 a month. And as we start to get higher in value, it's really hard to get that rent. And if you know, even if you do that person's only staying there while they're building their home or, you know, it's uh, what they're waiting for to shop around for a home that they're going to buy. So it's really not even a long-term tenant. So it doesn't work. That's right. So I think I think that needs to be brought up in that discussion. Uh, if you have a property value and you can look at the statistics, once you get over, let's say that three hundred thousand or two hundred fifty threshold, um, yeah, the metric totally changes. And so right. you know, one yep. of the things kind of that we've bounced around as a way to to manage this mm -hmm. is um, the number of rooms that you could rent. You know, supposing we had an mm -hmm. ordinance and it could be 
I think this could be an easy one to apply citywide mm -hmm. that said if you, um, you know, had a property where you wanted to rent in excess of four bedrooms, mm -hmm. you would have to get a special exception permit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That would require mm -hmm. you to notify your neighbors. Right. And, you know, that would trigger that higher fee. Mm. But that would... Our square foot size. I mean, when we think about square foot size, we think about occupancy fire regulation, right? right? So that could be a, a contributing factor. Um, also, though, you've got, you know, half a million dollar houses that are 1,200 square foot in our city, you know, all the time. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be difficult to actually draw a line to where, I mean, definitely on the mansion side, but I don't, I would think that's just a small fraction of what Airbnb is. I mean, I think it's more, um, like you said, uh, smaller families or Thunder Game events, because that's really where they get their peak pricing is, is around events. Mm -hmm. And when there's a concert here, Garth Brooks comes into town. Where is everybody going to stay? Uh, those kind of things. And now with Scissor Tail having that 15,000 uh, seat, or not seat, but uh, standing room, or not really standing room. Sitting room on the hillside. The hillside, the lawn, the, <laughs> the great lawn. The beautiful great lawn, yeah. 15,000 people. I mean, that's huge. I think uh, a Thunders game is uh, 18,000, yep. something like that. That's capacity. So, oh. That's a lot of people. But remember, most of us live in Oklahoma City for the yeah, Thunder Games. So. True, true. Uh, but, you know, with us, you know, I mean, it, 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 I guess it all depends on how the score goes, is who's in the seats there. But, well, uh, we've definitely had a great discussion today. Thanks for coming by. Um, is there any topic that maybe uh, we haven't covered that you just feel would really capture kind of your last 10 year reign? I mean, what are, what are, you know, in closing here, was there a moment where you almost wanted to quit and you just said, do this anymore? It just. Well, you're certainly making me smile. I'm sure there was a day, nothing is popping into my mind. I, I really am um, leaving this job with, you know, a great deal of satisfaction about the things that we were able to accomplish. I mean, this city has changed a lot in 10 years and not just, you know, in the physical built environment and walkability and the MAPS projects, but I think we've really um, embraced diversity in a much greater way. I think we're seeing opportunity around the city. I think the, you know, great focus on criminal justice reform and, um, you know, focusing on mental health and social services, you know, We've taken a city, uh, I've been here for 34 years, and, mm. and we've taken a city that was literally, you know, dead. We've often used the analogy of a body, and as with downtown as the heart of our city. And that heart didn't have a heartbeat. I mean, we had to apply paddles mm. to get that heart to start beating again. And we did that with MAPS 1, and we, you know, were able to help work with the schools in MAPS 2. And, you know, as the heart began beating the extremities start moving around. And so, so many of the things that were in MAPS 3, trails and sidewalks and um, senior wellness centers scattered around the city. And, you know, those things show that the city as a whole is healthy. Um, and once you get there, then it's time to work not on the beating heart, but probably the other part of the heart, which is, you know, we need to be focusing on um, those that are less uh, fortunate than some of the rest of us. And We've got an ex you know very difficult situ situation with mental access to mental health, mm. substance abuse and treatment, criminal justice reform, homelessness. You know mm -hmm. those are all heavy kind of sure. difficult things to end on. Right. But right. but those are some things that I think we've we've um, afforded ourselves not necessarily monetarily but from a 
community strength standpoint, we've afforded ourselves the opportunity to begin to take a deeper dive into some of those. And um, so, you know, I leave uh, knowing that we've done some great things, but we have a lot of great stuff to do. And I'm just deeply grateful uh, for the opportunity. I'm kind of happy not to be running again. (laughs) The election part of the job I was going to really say, yeah, not fun. <laughs> I, I, I think our discussion would be a lot different today, too. Um, it is neat to, to really hear a candid interview from you. Um, I appreciate that. I appreciate your your transparency and, and you really sharing your heart. And I think uh, I think you can, because, it, again, you don't have to uh, you don't have to, uh, you know, play to the current trends in the market because you're not trying to get reelected. You're, you're trying to share. Hey, here's what happened. So uh, beautiful. Um, I look forward to if you if you get a chance to write about this, um, write your experiences, you know, why they're fresh as you're going out, um, get them down on an essay format or, or hey, turn it into a book. Um, I recently read the book Boomtown, mm-hmm. who just really reminded me um, of just how an art point of view and how when we really share what happened, how it actually is significant when we really look back at the time, it may not have seemed uh, that crazy, but then you look back and you go, wow, that was, that was an instrumental change. And you certainly were, I mean, you went from, I mean, just the Plaza district. Wow. Absolutely incredible. But you know, Mm -hmm. we also, I, I, you know, I want to remind everybody that the Plaza district may look like it happened overnight, and it, it did not. It, it's the poster child, mm. um, you know, for this kind of commercial revitalization. Mm. But there's 20 years mm. of hard, hard work in there um, to, to get where we are today. It, you know, I, I am very involved with the National Trust for Historic Preservation and, you know, work directly um, with the Main Street program, which is part of our Department of Commerce. But, mm. you know, the word that runs through all of their literature and all of their training is incremental. Mm. And I'm not good at incremental. I don't like that. <laughs> I want things done yesterday. And, you know, if they're of the many things I've learned, mm. that is one of them, is it just takes years of um, planning and hard work and sweeping out, you know, sweeping leaves off of streets. I and mean, the mm. early leadership of the Plaza District, mm. just like the early leadership of, you know, every one of them, Automobile Alley and Midtown and Deep Deuce and Bricktown, you know, um, invested so much sweat equity mm. to get to a place where, you know, other investors thought it's time to come on board. And you're seeing that exactly in Capitol Hill right now. You know, we've got people that have been there for decades. We've got, you know, adventuresome real estate investors like Steve Mason and Amy Apatone that, you know, have come in and, you know, you can go by there almost any day and see Steve hauling a broom or making decisions about what to do. I mean, this isn't Mm. fancy. This is Mm. hands-on hard work that it takes to create a place with enough of an anchor that there's enough confidence for other capital to flow there. I think if people saw that, I think there's a new movement where we need to capture that more. And that's that's what we hope to do with the OKC Real TV um, YouTube channels, really capture the broom sweeping moments. Because I think people are tired of the fake it till you make it kind of mindset where, you know, let's all just get all the nice watches and look all nice. No, people actually want to see you in the T-shirt. Like they want to see like, oh, wow, this is actually happening. Because I think they'll start to actually believe it at that moment that, you know what? 
when I'm sitting here and complaining about our city and I'm complaining about what's going wrong, you know, and all this and da, da, da. And then I see, oh, wow, like these people actually are working to try to make it better. And I'm the one that's making it bad. Like there's tons to do in this city. And I'm the reason, you know, I'm the boring one, you know, that kind of inter internal dialogue. I think if we can expose the the background more and just bring that up to light, I think it'll actually be the reverse. I mean, I think I think cities try to polish everything and then produce only the premier content and it alienates the citizens because they think, oh, well, that's them. That's that's not me. Then they see somebody actually making a difference in the plaza and then all of a sudden it's, well, I could do that. I can get involved with that. That's not so intimidating anymore. Because it is incremental. Yep. Every little piece added right. to something makes a big difference. Uh, you know, the story of the pebble in the pond making those ripples. Mm. I, I see them all over the city every day. Mm. But you got to be the pebble. You got right. You got to drop a pebble. Well, folks listening, you are the pebble. Comments, questions, concerns, you can email me at landon at okcreal.com. You can also visit okcrealestateshow.com. There's a comment box at the bottom. Love to hear your feedback. We've answered some hard questions today. We'd love to talk more, but unfortunately, we're out of time for today's episode. Uh, Stay subscribed. You can listen to more of this content, more of this type of deeper interviews into Oklahoma City. Meg, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. That concludes episode 26 of the OKC Real Estate Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to hear new, fresh local market information every week. Questions and comments or have an idea for the show? Visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Looking to buy or sell in Oklahoma City? Meet with the award-winning team today at OKCReal.com.